Welcome to Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Relationships are probably where we spend the most time and the most energy in our lives. They can be the sources of our greatest joy, but they can also cause us the deepest pain and frustration. This podcast is about helping you connect a little bit better every day in your relationships. Welcome to episode eight of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. I know I say this every week, but I really mean it every week. Um, I am so excited about this episode. Today, not only am I talking to one of my friends from graduate school, so we went to graduate school many years ago, but we're talking about one of my favorite topics, which is traditions and rituals in relationships, in friendships, with couples, in families. And so I want to introduce my guest and get started. For the past 28 years, Dr. Carol Brees has been a relationship educator, professor, and researcher. She's passionate about helping families, couples, and friends create joy, happiness, longevity, and connection through micro moments of interaction and ritual. Her students describe her as a beacon of radical encouragement with a contagious zest for both life and helping others live fully with authenticity. She is the author of five books, has a popular TEDx talk about the inherent messiness of relationships, and she currently lives in Wisconsin with her husband of 29 years. Welcome, Carol. I am so happy to have you here and to talk about this topic. Oh, thank you for having me. It is just a full circle moment for us, isn't it? Uh, I know. So since this is a podcast about connecting, I often kind of do talk about how we are connected. Um, Love it. So do you want to talk about our connection? Oh, well, you know, I was thinking about this podcast today, right? That you and I have come back together after, what was it? How many years? 30 years? 29 years ago, being in grad school together in Ohio, both of us studying relationships and and then raising our families and being out of touch and raising our careers and and investing in our passions of making better relationships and helping others. And here we are talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's so lovely. And it's an honor. Carol and I met, as she said, in graduate school at Ohio University. Um, I feel like I remember meeting you at like like the new student graduate picnic. And I oh, feel absolutely. <laughs> and I, I, I I think I remember what you were wearing. I was going to say the same thing <laughs> because I really always admired your style. Um, and if y'all see Carol's picture when we post this, you'll see she has this amazing awesome sense of style and we both really love clothes and fashion and we would talk about that but um you know we connected and we were really really great friends through grad school and like you said life got busy and we sort of disconnected um you were in our wedding which was Mm. 25 years ago december 2nd Mm. so and then you live in lived in minnesota and i lived in texas and we just kind of drifted apart but Really, through thinking about this podcast, I I thought about what you were doing and looked you up and was so excited to find you. And now we've reconnected and rekindled our friendship. And it's been so joyful to do that. Oh, it's just 
filled up my soul and it's just it's so fun to see this new adventure of yours as well um, getting out there on the airwaves helping people in their relationships with practical wise credible advice so truly it is an honor oh. to join you today Thank you. And the reason I, you know, thought about you and I'd thought about you so much through the years, but what really made me think of you is that um, your interest, I remember very early on, and we used to talk about traditions and rituals. And I think both of us came from families and wanted that so much for our families, right? We just, mm -hmm. that warmth, that coziness. Mm -hmm. um, you'll laugh at this and maybe I'm sharing too much, but I remember going through a really difficult um, at the time, breakup in grad school. And oh, mm -hmm. you, you made me grasshopper pie. <laughs> My famous grasshopper pie. And like, I think of that, even though it was a one-time thing, mm -hmm. it wasn't a repeated traditional ritual. But like, in my head, I link that with like comforting somebody after a breakup. And oh. like, anytime I think I see grasshopper pie, I think of you. You know, it's this touch point. Uh, there's many other things. But so I really wanted you to come on and talk about rituals and traditions and the importance of those in, in families because I'm passionate and there's not a lot out there on it. Or maybe I just don't see it. But so can you, for our listeners, explain what rituals and traditions are? And um, we'll talk about the importance of those. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. And Quick aside about the grasshopper pie, <laughs> I had forgotten that, but it's absolutely connected to our topic today because in my husband's extended family, grasshoppers are a ritual. Mm. My, my father-in-law will often make for our entire family at holidays or on special occasions as a dessert, he'll make grasshoppers. And wow. for those of you who don't know what a grasshopper is, you'll just want to get on your Google machine later. Um, but that's so when you mentioned that, oh, my heart just sort of warmed even more because clearly it was just in me. Right. Um, yeah. As something to to comfort and celebrate a way to so, show love, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is brings us to the answer <laughs> to your question. So the thing about rituals is that I like to say it's all about the attitude behind the action. So technically, rituals and traditions are any repeated activity that pays homage to something important to us. And that sounds a little technical, right? Mm -hmm. But the key in that definition and thinking about what rituals and traditions really are is this idea about the attitude behind the behavior. And I, I think sometimes it's helpful to think about the difference between a ritual and a routine. Because mm -hmm. um, routines, I mean, we all have them, right? They're things that we do repeatedly. Um, I floss my teeth every morning and brush them, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, you know, what's, what are some of the things that you do individually or even in your family? But the difference between routines and rituals is that routines tend to not have greater meaning. They're just things we do, but rituals have meaning, mm -hmm. meaning that they are important to us. They say something about our relationship or what's important to us. And so I think it's so 
great to start this conversation by thinking about what they are and what they're not. Because as we dive in today, I'm sure we'll talk more about how to sustain rituals and why they're important. And we'll keep coming back to this idea is it's all about the attitude you bring to it. It's all about the meaning you infuse in it, you as a member of the relationship. That's so true. Um, when you were talking about that, I love that definition that it's really, so it could even be something that is very routine, but you give it meaning. Like when my husband and I first got married, and I, I've shared this example with when I give talks, um, he's sort of a night owl. And, you know, that was a little hard to get used to, right? Like I would want to go to bed early, but I would, when I went to brush my teeth, I would just put a squirt of toothpaste on his toothbrush. Oh, yes. And goosebump moment, goosebump moment. In the morning, when I got up early, he would put out my spoon and my mug for, um, for my like agave or sugar or whatever I put in my coffee. And he, he would say, oh, you pasted me. And I would say, oh, you spooned <laughs> me. But it was, it was a thoughtful action. Like I'm yes. thinking of you as I'm brushing my teeth for bed. And you're thinking of me when you make the coffee in the morning. And I'm yes. not going to lie, Carol, it's a barometer, a little bit of our relationship. Like when kids came along and life got really stressful, I stopped pasting him, not on purpose. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. he stopped doing that. And then like now when we do it, it's like, oh, you know, right? yeah, right. And to other people, right, the toothpaste or the spoon might have no meaning. There's no air quotes attitude behind the action. There's no relational history. And Kim, you know, I love that example so much is that many couples in my own research, you know, I've been studying ritual for my entire career mm -hmm. and the importance of it. And that's why I'm so passionate about it as well. Many couples have shared similar stories of these tiny little actions that serve as a, almost an invisible sort of conscious but subconscious connector to their partner. And one couple shared almost this identical ritual that hmm. they put whoever went to brush their teeth first at night would put toothpaste on the other person's toothbrush and their own. Um, and this couple shared that if you got in there and the toothpaste wasn't there or the tooth the, the tube was sitting next to the toothbrush, but the paste mm -hmm. wasn't on it. They were kind of like, uh-oh, we have something to talk about. Yeah. Right? So your yeah. notion of a barometer. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 great example because rituals and traditions are all about the meaning that we give them, mm -hmm. which I like for people to think about because it becomes really empowering right? Rituals can be teeny tiny, they can be big, they can be weekly, daily, annual, um, but you get to choose. And it's all about what you make of them. So how do you think they become authentic? Because I think, you know, when we talk about how good they are for relationships and how they're these connecting points. I'll have people say, well, how do I make my own ritual that's authentic and natural to our relationship? 
Mm. Or is that even a silly thing to ask? Because maybe asking it makes it manufactured. I don't know. No, I love the question, right? And it's a question I get frequently. Um, And it often comes when, when someone is looking at other families or relationships and they're seeing their rituals and they're seeing the richness of those rituals and they're feeling like maybe there's something missing in their own relationship. And so they ask that question, like, how do I do it in my own? How do I have what they're having? Mm -hmm. And here's what I would say is that rituals in a relationship are actually a reflection of, they're, they're a part of and a reflection of what we like to call our relationship culture our little mini village of two, if it's you and your spouse or partner, or four, if it's you and your family, or five, right? So our relationships are these little micro cultures. And the way that you do ritual in your little mini culture needs to be authentic. It needs to be important to you. And so to get to that really it's often about looking inward, right? Like what do you value? What does your partner value? What does your family value? And then create an activity that has meaning around that value, right? So maybe it's simply that you really value, you and your, let's say, spouse value deep conversation. And yet, you know, you're working a lot and kids and technology disrupts those conversations. So maybe what you do is you and your spouse develop a 10 minute tech free zone where it's, it's a ritual, right? It's sacred space where what you do is you sit and you hold hands with no technology in the room and you just talk, Mm. right? So I always like people to think kind of reverse engineer, what Mm. do you value? Mm. And then you create meaningful activity that can then become a ritual, right? Mm -hmm. Because the part of a ritual is that it, needs to happen over and over, mm-hmm. right? So we can have meaningful connections that are one-offs and that's great too, but rituals gain their power, right? Because they happen again and again. So they bring us even more firmly into that culture, that mini village with, with our family or with our, with our spouse. And this can happen in friendship too. Sure. I I love I, I love this quote that they gain power because they happen over and over. Um, yeah. And that's mm-hmm. that's so true. I have um, one that came to mind as you were talking and it's shifted. And I even mentioned this briefly. I didn't tell you what it was in a text the other day, but my oldest son and I know he's given me permission to share this because I've shared it in talks mm-hmm. on ritual, but Um, when he got to that middle age or that middle school age where you don't really want to like hug and kiss mom in front of your friends or Mm -hmm. say, I love Mm -hmm. you when you're getting out of the car to go to school, he started touching his nose to say, I love you in public. And so, but he would even do it in private. Yeah. He would do it. Like I would go 
hug him to bed. And then as I was leaving the room, he'd say, mom, and he'd touch his nose and I would touch my nose. So that was our ritual. And it came about completely organically, but how it became a ritual is we kept doing it over and over. And Carol, when he, I'm going to cry because I do every Mm -hmm. time, but when he was like, inducted into National Honor Society. He walked across the stage, he got his little pin, he looked out at the audience and he touched his nose. And when he graduated high school, he touched his nose. And every time he leaves to go to college, he touched, and and I do back. And now every text, we end with the nose emoji. Oh, that is I don't do it with my other two kids. I don't do it with anybody else in the world. It's just mine and Will's way of saying I love you. And it could have happened that one time, right? It could have happened that one time that he did it because he was too embarrassed to hug me or say I love you. And I tell you what, I'll take the nose touch any day because it's unique to us and our relationship. I think everybody listening is is getting a little teary-eyed, right? Because that is the brilliance of ritual, right? It's something that has meaning, deep meaning, profound meaning performed over and over, but the meaning is just for the two of you, Mm -hmm. right? And it's so, it's a connector. Often when we show up for a ritual, and by show up, I mean touch the nose, right? When we engage it, it often communicates paragraphs and paragraphs of meaning history between you and the other Mm. person or those other people. And that's what's so powerful, right? Because you are sharing something private that no one else needs to know. No, you don't even care if anyone else knows. And that, that is the epitome of connection. And Kim, what the research tells us about why rituals are important is so profound. And this is why I keep studying it, because it's so conclusive on the question of ritual and relationship strength. So relationships that are the strongest are those in which the members create and sustain rituals of connection. These little fleeting ones like the nose, again, they can be bigger ones and they can be medium sized. It doesn't matter if they're free, if they're expensive. It doesn't matter if they take a microsecond like touching your nose or another hand signal. I have hundreds of examples of couples who have shared little private hand signals. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what they look like, feel like, how much time they take, how much money is invested. All that matters is that you and that other person or those other people know what it means. Mm -hmm. And the research suggests, for instance, that when we engage in rituals, they're communicating what we value. Mm. Right? Like you and your son value expressing your affection for one another. You value each other. Yeah. That's, I love that you say that create and sustain. And it kind of goes back to that 
uh, question about like, how do we create rituals? I think what I see is the most genuine ones emerge. And then if we keep doing those, because after that successful one with my oldest son, you know, of course I'm like, okay, Kate, pick an emoji that's just ours or, you know, but it doesn't come as naturally. It's not as authentic. I think they they can, certainly we can sort of try to make them happen like holiday rituals and traditions that we'll talk about in a few minutes. But um, these ones that, these unique ones that these couples have or people have that emerge and then to keep doing them. And that does indicate the relationship strength because when we give up on the rituals, we're giving up a little bit on that connection and relationship. Exactly. And and I'm glad you looped us back around to this important point about how rituals develop, right? So one of the things that I've learned in my own research and other researchers have also found is that sometimes the the most meaningful, the most joyful, those long-lasting rituals start with a funny accident, mm. right? Or a silly little something that meets a need. I think your nose example mm. with Will is is beautiful. Mm. Um, I'll give you a, yeah. another example from um, probably the one I use the most um, when I talk about the couples that have been in, in my studies. There's a couple who um, found that they were, you know, just kind of moving into the mundane part of their their marriage. Um, I can't remember if they you know, had kids or how many years they had been married, but they decided to try to intentionally just be a little more silly. Um, well, one night, one of them looked over and saw some fuzz sticking out of the belly button of the other. <laughs> and, and so they picked it out and and then from that moment, they described that it became a game. So every <laughs> night they would, they would look in each other's belly buttons. And sometimes when there wasn't any there, they'd actually like collect some dryer lint and stick some in there. That was so funny. So, right? And I think it's, it's such a great example that yes, they were wanting to be more playful, but it really happened by accident. Mm -hmm. Where it was like, oh, I noticed that you have some fuzz in your belly button. Mm. Um, so a lot of times the best rituals come from when we misspeak, right? Like mm -hmm. you say something wrong and then it becomes a funny inside joke. Or, oh, yeah. Right? Or the dog eats the turkey on Thanksgiving. So you order pizza and, you know, 20 years later, you're still ordering pepperoni pizza for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um and it comes back to this idea of meaning. Why do we do it? What does it help us remember? How do we feel when we engage in this, whatever it is? Um, so yeah, I always encourage people to don't try to, you don't have to try too hard. Mm -hmm. I mean, being intentional, right? And looking at what you value and then working backwards is, is an idea, but also just noticing some of the little things around you that you're doing and then maybe intentionally doing them again mm -hmm. and maybe even adding a little more, you know, interest or spice to them. 
Mm -hmm. No, that's great advice. Oh, I love that story about the belly button. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Not everybody so loves it because they're like, ew, ew. But you know what? I love it when audiences of couples go, ew, because I remind them that what is ew to you is so beautiful and, and a loving connection to another couple. So, you know, what makes a ritual a ritual for you is what you bring to it, right? Like it doesn't matter if in thousands of other couples say you, if you love it, awesome. If it connects you, awesome. Keep it up. Yeah, it is. It's about having that meaning. I loved that you brought in sort of almost like a private joke because yeah, that's what, I, as you said that, I thought of little sayings that we say in our family that were things our kids messed up. Like one of them said one time, that's not my box of cheese. <laughs> and, you know, I think they were saying like, that's not in my wheelhouse or that's, I don't really know exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. But we all say that. I say it so regularly that I say it to other people who don't get it. And they probably look right. at me like, what do you mean that's not your box of cheese? Or Kate would always say, Google it up. She didn't know really what Google was, but she would say, instead of look it up, Google it up. And so that's kind of another one. And maybe other people do, but you're right that they have this shared meaning and they create like this private moment that's unique to the relationship. And so you're right. What might be you to one family or one couple is just, it's what meaning we assign to it. Right. Right. And I, you know, I'm glad you brought up this idea of a phrase because one of the most common rituals that people overlook, they take for granted, they think it's not a ritual, is the use of nicknames. Mm. So when you, right? So when you talk about that, yeah, because you've done a lot of research on that. I have actually. Um, that was my master's thesis way back in the day at mm -hmm. Ohio University when you and I had first met. Um, I was interested in this idea of how couples use private language, how they use nicknames, how they develop these words that have meaning only between the two of them. And that doesn't mean that someone else might not know what their nickname is, right? But it has meaning to them. And what I found was that the couples who used more private language, nicknames, even phrases to invite sexual intimacy, phrases that helped them manage conflict. The couples who had more of these kinds of names or phrases also had happier marriages. Mm. And it's been fascinating as I've studied this over time because what I've come to realize in the research is that it's because these phrases are rituals of connection. Mm -hmm. So when I use a phrase for you as a friend, right, a nickname, or when, I, when my spouse, when my husband um, calls me mama bear, mm -hmm. I, it just has, it's this little moment because that's his nickname for me. Mm -hmm. and, and it actually emerged when, our kids were little and I was super sleep deprived and 
we had sort of this family rule, like never wake a sleeping mama bear. (laughs) (laughs) And it's become this loving little acknowledgement that I need a lot of sleep more than the average Mm. person. I think sleep is life. I'm like, sleep, sleep, everybody sleep. He acknowledges that in this little nickname and it's a ritual. It's this little tiny moment of connection. Um, and that's why I love to to shine a light on these these little rituals because I would challenge every one of your listeners to look at their own lives and even if they think oh I don't I don't have these kind of rituals I bet if you look more carefully you actually do mm-hmm. you just take it for granted and one of the reasons we want to not take them for granted is because as we get more intentional about protecting them, right, and maintaining them, they can then sort of give us a sense of foundation or give us a sense of connection over time when we might need it even more, right? When things get a little fragile, when things get Mm -hmm. a little tense. Um, So I challenge everybody to kind of look around in your life and notice where these are already happening. Yeah, I think that's good because you're right. They feel special. Like even even as I listen to yours and I listen to the mama bear and as I share some of ours, I just can't help but smile because it feels unique. It feels special. And it's really good to feel that way in your relationship. Mm -hmm. I was thinking too, like I think you, I know you and Amy, our other friend, called me Kimber in grad school. Do you remember? <laughs> yes. Like, Kimber. And, yes. And I was just about to share yeah. that, right? <laughs> okay. So Amy still calls me Kimber and nobody else in the whole world has ever called me Kimber except I don't even know how that came about, but a couple grad school friends. Isn't that interesting? Right. And when you just said that, I could hear her voice in my heart and soul and in my head. And I haven't talked to her in years and years, probably 15 years. Yeah. I don't think she, she had another nickname for me too, which was like a Latin term that we learned in grad school. I don't even, I couldn't even say it now. I recognize it. It's like koinoi or I don't know what it means, but she still calls like she, if she sends me a birthday card, she it's always to Kimber and you know, seriously no one else in the world it just takes me right back to that moment and that time and that relationship Mm -hmm. um I I honestly forgot that anyone had ever called me that until this conversation so you're right the nicknames and listen I want to tell our listeners to google your TED talk and actually we'll put it in the show notes we'll set we'll put the link because if you want to hear some good nicknames um, <laughs> that people have for each other carol goes through a wonderful and humorous list oh the creativity right of couples and of families it's just so good and of course when we start to get a window into couples really private moments right that mm-hmm. we shouldn't necessarily have access to in their nicknames, in their invitations for sexual activity, mm-hmm. it, it, you can't help but laugh uh, mm-hmm. at the creativity and and laugh in a in a knowing kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's sort of taboo to talk about the way you nickname your partner's body parts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, what though it brings us back to 
is what I would say is the most important function of ritual, meaning the service it brings to our relationships. And especially as we think about families and why rituals are so important for children, it's because at the core, rituals instill, they foster a sense of belonging. And one of the most important things that we can do for our kids, and I don't, I mean from birth all the way through, like my young adult children, right? They still need this sense of belonging. One of the most important things we can do for children as they grow their resilience is to make sure they know they are part of something bigger than mm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And ritual is one of the most powerful ways to do that. And that's why I've become so passionate about studying it and talking about it mm-hmm. uh, because it, it serves so many positive um, outcomes for families. And again, they don't even have to be elaborate, mm-hmm. right? But we know, for instance, from the research that even families who are able to maintain some really simple rituals, like even let's say dinner rituals or like weekly cleaning rituals or whatever, right? They actually, those families are able to stop the intergenerational transmission of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Those families who maintain rituals are also better at helping family members who have chronic health issues like diabetes or heart disease. Wow. Right? I know it's fascinating. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's fascinating. And when you dig into it, essentially, what we find is that a sense of stability, right? A sense of predictability, a sense of I belong to something bigger than myself. So I am going to make different choices. I am Mm -hmm. going to maybe really monitor my health or do the things I need to do because it isn't just about me. Mm -hmm. I belong. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and don't we all need that right now? You know, that sense of belonging and consistency and resilience. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, one of the simple rituals that I suggest that people do, anyone can do it at any time in any family, is simply to tell stories of your childhood, Mm. to tell stories of your memories of your childhood. And as we do that, according to the research, we are imbuing in children this sense that they belong to something bigger. Mm. So just having facts, right? And it doesn't even matter, right? Like one of your children is adopted. It doesn't matter, right? If it's biological children, adoptive children, foster children, you telling stories about, oh, back when I was in grad school or back when I was a Mm -hmm. kindergartner, it Mm -hmm. gives 
those children, that child, a sense of, wow, I'm part of something that I know more about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so powerful. Yeah, um, that sense of belonging to something bigger than ourselves. It's mm-hmm. funny you say that too, because even with Kate, and sometimes my husband does it tongue in cheek, you know, she played violin and um, he, his, his grandfather was a conductor in an orchestra and like violin kind of runs on his side of the family and he'll say, oh yeah, you get that from the swale side of the family, <laughs> you know, and, and she knows, obviously we all know that the biological relation isn't there, but she still glows in that. She still loves thinking it's, you know, a generational thing. So yeah, you're right. Oh, that's such a good practical way that people can kind of start this that ritual of telling stories of your childhood and if you want to give your listeners um actually a little google assignment Mm -hmm. have them google what's called the do you know scale do you know question mark Mm -hmm. scale and what your listeners will find when they google the do you know scale is the fascinating research evidence that's very accessible to anyone Mm -hmm. um, that suggests that by simply talking to our children about some key items of our past, Mm -hmm. saying, did you know or do you know where your grandmother went to grade school? Do you know um, what the weather was like on our wedding day? Do you know, you know, Mm-hmm. Just them having some of those basic facts gives our children that sense of profound resiliency, like in the sense of belonging. Mm-hmm. But I love the do you know scale because it's some really simple questions. So if people feel a little intimidated about where to have those conversations or where to start, mm-hmm. it gives you some questions to, to think about. Oh, that's great. And we'll put that in the show notes too, because a lot of people listen while they're walking or driving. And so I'll Google it and I'll have the link in our show notes for this episode. So this question comes up as you're talking about this, and maybe because I do have a teenager still at home, (laughs) she's 14, (laughs) but, um, you know, I, I think there could be times with our kids when I say, you know, we'll, do you know (laughs) that they roll their eyes, that they're not (laughs) interested in traditions that rather than I asked my oldest son, who's by the way, one of his nicknames is will tradition swales because he is, he (laughs) loves traditions. His friends all tease him that he makes everything into a a tradition. Where do you think he got that from? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) I make everything a tradition, but there comes a point. Oh, I asked him yesterday, what's his favorite tradition? And I do want to talk about these in our last couple of questions is like, he said, I was so surprised what he said, actually, but he said, I don't know. I need time to think. But then he said, I guess I'd say our Christmas cookies because they're a unique recipe that came from my grandmother. And um, Mm. I have the original cookie press, the copper cookie Mm. press that she sent to my mom when my mom was 17 and my mom's 77 now. So, Mm. you know, I don't know. I'm not good at math, but (laughs) I, it's, it's old, right? It's at Mm. least it's over 50 years old and the recipe we've never found anywhere online ever. Um, it's not like a published recipe. I've reverse Googled it and, and, and that we do it every year as a family, you know, so it's kind of, it has all that. It has the intergenerational, 
it has the, um, but what I'm, I'm kind of digressing from my question as I do, um, there comes a time where they're not interested in the family traditions. They're not interested in the rituals. So do you have suggestions for keeping rituals going when kids feel like they've sort of outgrown them or they're silly or, you know? Yes, <laughs> I do because, and I'm glad you brought this up because it's, it's a common point of angst, right? Mm -hmm. For parents and grandparents, um, and especially at this time when you know, we're just, people are just running ragged, right? And just trying to be like, how do we do more? How do we sustain these, um, these, this family connection? So here is my best advice. Being adaptable and creative is key. And by adaptability, I mean that sometimes rituals have run their course, mm. right? And I know a lot of people say, well, how do you know? And it's like, well, only you can know. Um, and, and I'm cautious when I offer this advice that sometimes, you know, you can let a ritual go because it's also important for us as parents and grandparents um, to stay stubborn about maintaining certain rituals and traditions because it's creating a sense of stability that mm -hmm. is going to carry us and our children and grandchildren and people in our family into the future, mm -hmm. right? Despite many instabilities of life. And here is what is also okay, is evolving rituals, mm. right? Because when they become too firm, right? Like to like, no, this is the way we do it. <laughs> We're going to do it on this day at this time. And you are right. Mm -hmm. When the joy gets sucked out over time, and sometimes that's because they're too rigid. Sometimes it's because we've outgrown them, right? Mm -hmm. Like everybody wearing matching jammies, sleeping under the holiday tree. Mm -hmm. Maybe, <laughs> maybe I mean, mm -hmm. some people still do, right? Mm -hmm. and, you have 40 year olds doing that, which is great. But for some families, they've had to adapt it. Mm -hmm. And so getting creative. And what I would say is have the conversation with your kids. So keep the kids at the center. Mm. So for instance, kids do thrive on predictability. Mm -hmm. And they, even if they say like, oh, I'm bored with this, or they roll their eyes, they actually deep down in their DNA appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the suggestions for keeping kids at the center, adolescents at the center, besides having conversation, like you just modeled, right? You asked your son, what's your favorite ritual? So it brings it to his consciousness. Mm -hmm. But the other way to do that is in the ritual itself, let's say we're talking about holiday rituals, is to give kids a specific role or task in the ritual, mm. right? And, and sometimes that's, if you evolve it mm -hmm. in a way that's like, wow, you know, this traditionally was something that grandpa did, but we want to pass the torch to you. You mm -hmm. know, you're 16 now, right? Mm -hmm. So when you can encourage your children to see themselves as an essential part of the ritual, mm -hmm. they're more likely to see new meaning in it. 
Oh, that's so good. I I have the best example of that. Oh, I, do share. Yeah. I love the example. So every time you think something, I have think of these ones. And you're right. When you said a few minutes ago, people, if they really look at their life, they're there. We just maybe don't think about them or take them for granted. But we have this book that my mom gave us when Will was born. And it has the story of the birth of Christ in it. Um, and then it also has like, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and it has different Christmas songs. Um, it's called like the Christmas Treasury Book or something. Mm. But we started on Christmas Eve. We always read that. And we've got a handful of Christmas Eve traditions. But yeah, as our kids got older, they really didn't want to hear Dave reading Twas the Night Before Christmas. <laughs> And so go figure, right? But I'm telling you, it's become more fun. So here's how it's evolved. Yeah, Will one year said, Can I read it this year? And he did it. We didn't do it. Like we weren't as smart as you're suggesting to evolve the ritual, but he just said, Can I do it? And I remember like Harry wanted to do it. And then I vividly remember when Kate wanted her turn. And she's nine years younger than Will, five years younger than Harry. And she has dyslexia and she's, you know, completely copes with it, but it was mm -hmm. reading is a little slower and it was hard to be patient. And, but it was so important to her to have that time because she saw everybody else get to do it. But now we do it silly. Like we mock it. We change the words and we like, it's, it's almost the ritual has evolved to where I don't know who gets to do it. There's not the same person, but we do it in a funny way. And then we sing some of the songs, which nobody in our family can sing at all. And we do it like, again, really silly, goofy way, but it was, I love it. yeah, it was not, that, but as they got older, we definitely had to change it. That is Kim, such a beautiful example, right? In real time, because imagine if there had been that moment when, you know, was it Will who first said, can I read it? Yeah. Yeah. If Will had said, can I read it? And you're like, no, the rule is, yeah. right? And I, I say that somewhat jokingly, but that does happen in families. Oh, right. I, Where I'm it's like, no, this freak. person is the <laughs> one who hands out the gifts. Nope. Yeah. Nope. Okay. And when, when we start to add that rigidity, right, mm -hmm. we suck the joy right out of the ritual. Mm -hmm. And it's more likely than to not continue. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we know from the research, and it's so funny, a ritual in our family has been, you know, our kids are 20 and 24 now, Gracie and Tony, they live on two coasts. But one of the rituals for the last 20 years has been when I say, well, research shows. <laughs> and and one of the one or both of them will say, "Do tell mom what does the research show?" <laughs> but anyway, one of the things. So I giggle, right? Because I, I connect with them even in my my head when I say, "Well, research shows." Yeah, but but research does show. For instance, when when we have families that are blending together, so blended families, mm -hmm. so remarriage, children from you know multiple families. Um, coming together, the research on blended families and rituals, I think is, is something that can inform all of us in, mm -hmm. in our evolution of rituals. And what we know is that the families that were able to blend their families more successfully did something very unique around rituals. 
they both paid homage to and brought forward some of their old rituals mm. and developed new ones together. Mm -hmm. So they paid homage to the past and the present, the old and the new. Mm. And so I think one practical bit of advice for everybody listening, whether you're thinking about friendship, family, holidays, spouses, whatever, is that it's okay to develop the new and how can you give it a little nod to the old? Like mm. what, maybe there's just one little element of the old, right? That you bring forward into the new time. Um, that is a powerful way to, you know, as we evolve in our relationships to keep ritual at the center. That's great advice, really great advice. And it doesn't surprise me that the research would show that um, successful blended families do that because that's just one example of how they're adapting, you know? Right. Um, right. Yeah. That's really... You know, the, uh, Go ahead. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, the tips I always give families who are struggling, right? Because as your families evolve and new members, even through marriage or mm -hmm. adoption or whatever, you know, is, is to try one new thing each year. Mm. Keep it simple. But if we, as we think about the holidays and not just Christmas or Hanukkah or you mm. know, you think about the 4th of July or whatever you celebrate, right? To keep people in your family, if that's what you value, coming back, mm. meaning staying connected, trying one new thing each year mm -hmm. can be really a great way to see mm. what authentically sticks, mm -hmm. right? So if you try like, <laughs> and I'm giggling because I, I'm famous for this, I'll be like, okay, family, this year, <laughs> let's all you have to pull something out of the second drawer from the left in your closet, wherever that is, and then you have to make something <laughs> out of it and give it to the person whose name comes after, you know, and after a few years, my extended family caught on and they're like, nope, sorry, you're not in charge. <laughs> but, but this idea of infusing a little bit of new each mm -hmm. year, sometimes the things stick. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes they are the thing that becomes that ritual that a hundred years from now, your grandchildren will be doing with their children. Right? That's so. great advice as we go into the holidays. And, and sometimes if it doesn't stick, it's still good to look back and say, remember that time? We always go to mass on Christmas Eve, but we usually go like, the earliest you could go on Christmas Eve. So, you know, four o'clock or five o'clock that still counts for, you know, yep. your obligation mm -hmm. uh, and then eat dinner after. But one year, it might've been last year. It was within the last two years. Um, our son's school, a Jesuit school here in Houston has, it's not exactly midnight mass. I think it starts at 11 or 1130. Mm -hmm. It ends at, it actually ends at midnight. We weren't sure we could do it. I go to bed early, but one year, and I was met with such resistance, like, oh, we've never done that. We always go at four o'clock and then we do dinner and I don't know, but I, I was, you know, say, trying something new, not knowing any of this that you're saying either, but um, we, we hated it. But I'll tell you the beauty when we <laughs> walked out, because <laughs> we were all grumpy and tired right, and it right. just, 
But we yeah. walked out and for the first time ever in our lives, it's it's in this part of town that they set off fireworks at midnight on Christmas Eve. It's not organized. It's just cultural. Um, it's a very Hispanic part of Houston where their school is. And I, it's a cultural tradition in the Hispanic culture to set off fireworks at midnight on Christmas Eve, at least here. Mm -hmm. That's what we learned. That's what we saw. And we had never seen it. So we walk out of mass and there's the most beautiful fireworks in the sky at midnight. Mm -hmm. And while we don't go anymore, and I doubt we ever will go to that mass again, that was such a wonderful, unique mm -hmm. thing. And we look back like, oh yeah, remember that one time we went <laughs> to, mm -hmm. you know, the almost midnight mass and the fireworks. And so you're right. You kind of, if you don't try new things, then you miss those little opportunities and right? then you might like it. We didn't like that one. So I don't think we'll do it again, but. Well, it, it, it's, it's right. Okay. I think it's a beautiful example of it's okay to try it. And if it doesn't work, don't force it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like one of the things that's happening for our immediate family right now, for my husband and, and me and our two children who I mentioned are, you know, 20 and 24, um, we are finding because, you know, they live on both coasts, mm -hmm. in New York and LA, mm -hmm. and we live here in Wisconsin and they were raised in Minnesota and, you know, one's still in college, Gracie's in college and, you know, Tony's an entrepreneur and um, college grad. And when we get together at Christmas and New Year time, we were finding that we were hungry for just us, just the four of us, because mm. there is not another time in the entire year when it's just the four of us anymore. Mm -hmm. And so last year we decided to try a new ritual of spending. And this was, this was tricky because this, this was breaking tradition, right? For our both extended, large extended families who we love and adore. And we love spending time with them, but we decided we needed to start a new holiday ritual for ourselves. And so we, because, you know, we're in the freezing Midwest, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, that we were going to all pick a beachy location. And that was our gift to each other. Mm. The four of us alone on a beach. And it was absolute magic. And so we decided on the spot, on the beach, mm -hmm. that we would do this every year. Oh, wow. And we would do it. We would plan the next year while we were on that year. Mm. Well, of course the pandemic hit. And yeah. so this year we put it on pause, mm -hmm. but it is something I believe that will continue something that they're excited about, right? Like we had the conversation with them, like what would bring you joy? And I can, I think a lot about when they start, you know, having partners and mm -hmm. maybe families someday, will they want to bring them to the beach right mm -hmm. to something that they helped create mm -hmm. wherever that beach will be um and i i really think yes and it, it's it's pretty fun to see that evolve yeah i think that's right i think what you said going back a few minutes if you involve your children as they're growing up in the rituals and traditions, and I don't know the literature on this as well as you do by any stretch, but my hypothesis is <laughs> that, um, that they're more likely to keep the ritual going in their family as well. Yes, yes, 
Yes, the, the, the data does suggest <laughs> that. Absolutely. And, you know, here's, here's the, the, the core, right? The thread that runs through all this is that we all want to belong. We want to mm -hmm. feel like we matter, that we are valued. And so when you think about what that looks like, right, whether it's kids participating in ritual or getting to adapt or create new rituals, be part of that conversation. And even kids, right, as young as four and five, mm -hmm. you can ask them, what's your favorite part, right, of, of the holiday or what's your mm -hmm. favorite part of the week? Um, let them participate in the creation. And it actually reminds me of one of my favorite rituals that a friend told me about. And I, I, want, to, I want to adapt it someday to my family. Mm -hmm. but they had this massive family. And I think this is so creative, big, big family. And one person hosts each year, like the Thanksgiving, sometimes it's Christmas or, but I mean, we're talking like 60, 70 people. Wow. Here's the ritual. It's so brilliant. When you walk in the door, there is like a fishbowl. There's like a bucket with a bunch of slips of paper mm -hmm. and every person takes their slip of paper and it's your assignment for that event. And everybody has an assignment in, in, so for instance, you set the tables. Okay. You fill all the water glasses and make sure everybody, your assignment is to take everybody's coats, right? Mm -hmm. Your assignment is to sweep afterward. Mm -hmm. but there's one golden free pass mm. that you don't have to do anything. Wow. And what's happened, according to this family, is that it's become this fun kind of trading game, too, where you can trade your assignment. Ah. And one of the assignments is to have a conversation with every person in that room and learn one new thing. Oh, wow. Right? So it, it's become this really, I think, fun way to involve, right? So you come to this event. It's a ritual that helps, right? It's practical. Mm -hmm. So the ritual of this large family gathering can continue, but it's, it's also a connector, right? Mm -hmm. And it has an element of joy. And I, I like that example because in that one ritual, it does a lot of things mm -hmm. and often rituals that do serve a number of purposes, they're the ones that will continue, right? They bring people together. They also are really practical. They bring joy. They, they give people something to look forward to. They include people. Those yeah. are the ones that tend to, yeah, continue. Yeah, that's, I love that one. That's great. And what a, what a really good way to kind of compass all of it. So we kind mm -hmm. of touched on this, but I want to give you one more opportunity before we finish. As the holidays approach, um, do you have any suggestions for more ways that families can incorporate rituals or traditions in their celebrations? Because I do think this year in particular, we're probably not, I mean, I know it's different everywhere and it's, 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 different people's, you know, belief systems and preferences, but we're probably not going to be with our extended family. We're probably not going to be doing all of the things we typically do at Thanksgiving or Hanukkah or Christmas or New Year's. Yes. You know, it's, I, I'm glad you're asking this question and that we're ending with it because there is a lot of angst, right? Around, um, well, if we don't, 
but if we can't continue our rituals and traditions, you know, our family's going to fall apart or this is going to be awful or horrible. And I am an eternal optimist for mm -hmm. one, if people don't know, but I also believe that these are opportunities to do what we talked about earlier. And that is to get creative, right? So get creative about what are the rituals and traditions that you valued in the past? Like, what are those most important ones, right? So like for you, you know, you, you talked about the cookie baking. Mm -hmm. um, so perhaps there is a similar ritual for another family that can't happen in person mm -hmm. because, right, we've got to protect our vulnerable family members. This is a great opportunity to get creative about how to take a little piece of it and adapt it. So maybe you send to every family member who usually participates the ingredients mm -hmm. and you schedule a virtual like cookie baking making, mm -hmm. right? And and maybe that ends up including more people than it would in the past, some people who couldn't come, right, to a certain part of the ritual. So I say that get creative, look at this as an opportunity to look with fresh eyes at your holiday rituals and, and see how they might evolve. Mm -hmm. Because as, as I like to say, you know, our relationships really are works of art. They're never finished. Mm -hmm. They're always evolving and we are the sculptors. Right. And I always ask people, even if, if people who aren't artists, right, what do you want your relationships to look like? What do you want your holiday to look like and feel like? And I think that we can, we should never forget that the magic in the ritual is really about the meaning that we give it. So embrace whatever is in front of us and make the most meaning from it. That's so beautiful, Carol. I have tears in my eyes. Oh, <laughs> it's like three pages of notes. I've been doing this, uh, you know, a lot. And I, I just, you're so wise and you have so much great advice to offer. So our relationships are never finished. Um, and to ask yourself, what do you want your relationship or your relationships to look like? Um, I think that's wonderful. I love the analogy of, of being a sculptor or an artist. Thank you so much for having this conversation. I forgot we were even recording at some point. It just felt like two friends talking about what we're passionate about. And hopefully it helps a lot of people who are listening. Truly the pleasure, Kim, is all mine. I just am very honored to be part of this awesome podcast you have. I've learned so much from the conversations you've had with your other guests. It's truly an honor. And I hope we can do it again soon. And then I can get down there to Houston, especially maybe in post pandemic when it's 20 below zero up here. I will be coming down to Houston. Yes, I will love that. So for <laughs> our listeners, can you share um, where they could find you? I know you're really conscientious, conscientious and not on social media a lot, but you have a really great website. So can you share where people could find you if they want to read more of your stuff? Absolutely. So I just, I have my own website. It's just carolbreece.com. 
and our my last name spelled a little oddly, but I'm sure you'll have it in your um, yeah in your in your notes. But yeah, just www.carolbreeze.com. All right, great. We will share that. Anything else? Any exciting books or anything you want to tell our listeners about? Because you just have so much knowledge and information. Oh, you're so sweet. I do have a couple upcoming projects, two of which might be a book project and book projects. So. Stay tuned. They'll I can't be on see your website at the moment. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. That's There's some exciting. fun stuff coming down the road. So. Yeah, and you had just a lot of stuff. Like when I found you, I just I don't know. I spent probably an hour, and I could probably go back and spend more hours. Um, there was just a lot, a lot of great information, and just I just love throughout your career, you've taken all that you've researched and studied and taught about with your students into this practical realm where people can look at the things that you've written um, and some of your talks, your TEDx talks. And um, I know for a while you did some things with a local news station and they're, those are all on your website too, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, they are. Yeah. yeah so people, I, there's so much information. Well, it's, it's a lot like why you're doing this podcast, right? Because for those of us who are sort of immersed in you know, the research and the the knowledge, um, I think we have an obligation to to summarize it and curate it and and get it out there to help people in relationships. It's why we do what we do, mm -hmm. right? And and so I see it as part of my obligation. Of course, I love it. I'm passionate about it. Um, but it's it's truly an honor to get to um, you know, write for broader audiences, do interviews. Um, yeah. And, and this little thing I have being created that, that I can't talk about yet, but mm -hmm. it's all about that. And Good. so hopefully it'll, Good. it'll help lots of couples and families and friends out there. Well, I will nag you to come back um, <laughs> as often as you will, because you're great and you're, you're so good at the examples and kind of boiling it down to practical terms that people could use. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Hopefully you've heard something that will help you as you continue to navigate the connections in your everyday relationships. If you'd like to connect with me on Instagram, you can follow me at Dr. Kim Swales or check out my website, www.kimswales.com. I'd also love if you would click subscribe and leave a positive review or a five-star rating for the podcast, as well as share it with your friends and family. The material in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of medical or psychological counsel, please seek a licensed professional in your area. This episode was edited and produced by Sonia Kerrigan.